Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey everybody, this is Ron Scalzo from Return to Earth and Q-Ball and you're lucky enough to be listening to Talking Metal. You're listening to the Talking Metal Podcast with your host, Mark Striegel. And special guest co-host, Victor M. Ruiz. iTunes number one hard rock and metal podcast. I'm Bud Friendly. Now, here are your hosts, Mark and Victor. Welcome one and all to another episode of Talking Metal Live. And as usual on Friday nights, you have me, Victor, in Spain. And on the other side of the world, only eh, 3,000 miles away and change, you have Mark Striegel in Maplewood, New Jersey. Hey, guys. How are th- hey, Victor. How are you? Good. How are you, Mark? Good, good. Uh, kind of a, uh, a wild, crazy week. Yeah, I was working a lot of doubles and, uh, you know, just... Uh, chaos man it's like uh, i went like two and a half weeks without any income or jobs coming in at all and then of course it just the floodgates opened and i've been uh, doing double duty back at ifc and back at my extra old employer um sci-fi doing freelance work for them and i my my son goes to this uh co-op school so uh which means not only do we pay for him to go to the preschool, actually both both sons, they both go to the same school. We not only pay for them to go to this preschool, uh, but we have to volunteer at the school. So on top of working doubles and stuff, I also was working at his school during the week, which is rewarding and nice, but it was kind of just a rough week to do it. So I tell you, part of me earlier today, I was, I was thinking, man, should I cancel the, the Talking Metal Live show tonight because I am just uh, ready to freaking collapse in bed. And... My better judgment told me I should not. So here we are, and we are having fun already. I am cracking open a Miller Miller beer here uh, and excited to be talking to you, Victor. We are going to talk about what today, Victor? Uh, well, we have two guests that um, have a little story uh, regarding Hurricane Sandy. Both of them were affected, like a lot of people in the New York, New Jersey area. And these two guys have been guests both on Talking Metal and Mars Attacks at one point or another. Uh, so with the anniversary of what happened during Hurricane Sandy, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I sort of thought that it would be neat to talk to these guys and sort of, you know, f- get their side of what happened to them. And Yeah, what, you know, yeah. one year later, 
it's you know people who don't live in this area you know you have family in this area and you grew up in this area so you're still kind of attached to the scene back here but i mean even i i still have issues my my gutter is still messed up on the one side of my house i I, the paint uh, i haven't gotten the paint on the side of the house to match the front because it was all scraped up and we had to repaint certain parts of the house i'm having still having drainage issues in my front yard um, stuff is, is far from perfect here in, in New Jersey and, uh, you know, in the Long Island, New York area, it, 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 we're still we're still working our way back. And, you know, listen, I know the people down in New Orleans with Katrina got hit harder than we did. But but still, this this was a once in a lifetime experience for me personally. I put it up there with with 9-11 uh, Hurricane Sandy, that is. And. And we're going to talk to, you know, I had two trees fall on my house and, you know, I had, I had, you know, 20 grand worth of damage to my house that, you know, thankfully insurance paid for most of, not all of. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was the second hurricane in two years. The the uh, other hurricane, we actually had worse flooding in. Uh, what was that hurricane uh, that was, I'm getting them all mixed up. Sandy. Adam? Uh, what's that? Is it Adam? No, it was... Uh, Oh, I'm drawing a blank right here. I should know that. Uh, Hurricane Sandy, Hurricane... Um, uh, I'm not sure. Hmm. As we both reach for Google. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> list of hurricanes. List of New Jersey hurricanes. Uh, which, actually, I know I know this one wasn't a hurricane by the time it hit us because it had been down... The, the one from 2010, that is, which... Or, no, not... Let's see, 2010, Hurricane Sandy. Ida? Ida, no. Uh, Came Bill, Hurricane. Tropical Storm Nicole, Tropical. Irene. Irene. Hurricane Irene. We had a lot of flooding and actually a ton of damage from that, which our insurance didn't cover because apparently we had flood insurance, but flood insurance doesn't cover sump pump failure i mean it's such fucking bullshit man the insurance companies are fucking thieves man uh, all of them right. health insurance companies and home and home insurance companies car insurance they're a bunch of fucking crooks and uh, that's a whole nother topic we won't get into but um yeah so they didn't cover us now thankfully fema did you know and, and say what you want about the federal government guys i fema definitely helped us out during Hurricane Irene here in Maplewood, New Jersey, at my homestead. Anyways, enough of this bullshit. Let's uh, let's talk some some rock. We had John Leone from White Wizard on last week. What kind of feedback you been getting on the interview, Victor? Uh, you know, it's funny because just like everything else, you know, the fans are split with the camps, and you have people that um, you know going back of that have always been sort of negative towards John contacted me and still gave me negative you know remarks uh there was a little thing on facebook there going back and forth with joseph michael that uh uh, on my facebook page where you know i didn't mean anything oh yeah i caught some of that he's he was definitely a little uh i don't know what the word is uh sensitive or or testy towards the the whole thing you know so um that that was interesting and i read just i think today this morning or maybe it was yesterday morning uh i was looking at twitter or facebook or something and he was like finally just landed in new york so he's he's 
finally back in this country after that whole ordeal. And you brought up a good point. Why didn't he just change his ticket and come home earlier? I mean, if he, you know, he his ticket was probably for for return date at the end of the tour. But right. couldn't he have just, you know, for fifty bucks, you know, changed changed his ticket and come back earlier? Maybe it's a lot more expensive than that. I don't know. But I've I've flown enough and gotten shafted with you know connecting flights flying back and forth from the U.S. to to Spain over the years. And, you know, when things like this happen, you know, exactly what you're saying. You know, you pay 150, 200 bucks maybe, depending on uh, what restrictions the the ticket has, and you fly back. I mean, I would think that you'd end up spending more money just hanging out in Europe and having to pay for, you know, your food and everything else. Totally. uh, As opposed to, to coming back. And... You know, I don't know. I was just posing some questions where, you know, we have three different versions of the same story right now. We have what Will mentioned to us. We have what John mentioned to us. And we have what Joseph Michael mentioned to Metal Sucks. And, and, you know, I'm not here to say, oh, well, you know what, you're lying or this or that. But, you know, if someone that's quote unquote impartial is giving a different story to what you're giving then something isn't lining up. And, I mean, that's something for them to sort out and whatever. And, you know, I think um, it's important that, you know, John was able to uh, exercise, you know, whatever, or talk about his side of things, whether, you know, people take that as the truth or not, whether, you know, Joseph Michael or any of the other members have a different story. You know, in the end, as we've been saying all along, I think we'll all hang on to the music. It was a really good album. And, uh, you know, let's see what happens from here. Best of luck to everyone involved. You know, I don't think it's for any of us to sit here and say, oh, you know, screw John. He's been a dick to everyone, so I hope he never makes it, or I hope, you know, whatever. You know, whatever happened between him and past members, that's their deal. My my biggest issue, two, two slight issues with the interview, First, I will say there were only minor issues that I personally had with the interview. Uh, In general, I thought it was a fucking kick-ass interview. And I take my hat off to John Leone to coming on, sitting down and talking to us for like practically 90 minutes and telling his side of the story. And I found his version of events believable, quite frankly. And I'm not saying that that they are. And I know other ex-members have their own version of events, as you said. But I found... I found John's versions of events believable. Here's what I didn't like about my my 90 minutes that you and I spent with uh, John last Friday, one week ago from today. Uh, I didn't like that he brought Eric Kluber's name into the conversation and stirred up all those things. I thought that was unnecessary. Um, <clears throat> you know, I've spoken with Eric, and he's actually, you know, had an opportunity on, on this show during interviews to to bring up all that bullshit again. He chose not to. And I, I felt, I wish John wouldn't have gone there, but he did. And so whatever, he's obviously has some feelings, uh, negative feelings about the whole, the whole things, the whole way things went down with, with Eric. Um, I thought that was unnecessary. And I can't remember if he did this off air or on air, but I thought it fucking, and we're talking about New Jersey today, guys, getting freaking hit in the storm and talking about what a great state New Jersey is. I thought it sucked because he, he was like, he was like, uh, Victor, you know, you're in Spain. And he was like, Mark, where are you? I'm in, and I go, I'm in New Jersey. And he goes, oh, sorry. It's like, that's a 
that's fucking bullshit, man. It's like, you know what? I've, I've been in 30 of the 50 states, and New Jersey's one of the best fucking states out there. Um, you know, if, if you don't, you know, if you want to go live in some wackadoodle place like Mississippi or, or some freaking, like, you know, way, you know, dark, liberal, blue, like, freaking state, like, uh, you know, Oregon or something, go ahead. New Jersey is freaking the most level-minded state in my opinion as far as uh people as far as uh you know politics as as far as you know we have a lot of great sports teams half the fucking new york teams play in new jersey by the way guys uh, you know and it's it's so awesome to be right next to the greatest city in the world new york city i mean it, new jersey fucking kicks ass and uh i can't remember if you said that comment on or off air but that kind of got under my skin uh a little bit and I know he was just fucking kidding around, but New Jersey gets fucking uh, kicked in the nuts a lot, you know, and uh, you got to stick up for it here and there. And it really got kicked in the nuts with Hurricane Sandy. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree in being a, a New Jersey native and trying to keep up, you know, with everything. Obviously, it isn't the same as being there. You know, I learned that firsthand with 9-11 with you know, people say, oh, well, I saw it on TV and it was so powerful. It's like, OK, well, live it in person. <laughs> you know, yeah. Sandy's the same deal. You know, I I can relate to it because I have so many friends and family that were affected by it. But it's still not going to be the same as what you experienced or someone, you know, down at the shore that lost their house in the process, you know. And I love New Jersey. You know, uh, I have a lot of pride with, you know, with my home state and. I mean, I've mentioned to this. Uh, I've mentioned this to you a few times. You know, I right. played in a um, in a Misfits cover band, and partly because of that is because you know it's it's a New Jersey band, and I take a lot of pride in you know bands that have come out of the area, and you know a lot of New Jersey bands consider, although New York bands may not feel the same, but sort of consider home turf being New York City and New Jersey. If you talk to the guys from Overkill, they've always said that, you know, it's a home A and a home B. It's always like the same thing. And I I mean, there have to be bands like Anthrax and things like that, or bands of that nature that, you know, coming from that metal militia of, you know, Old Bridge and coming from Megaforce and all that, they have, you know, they have to have a soft spot uh, excuse me, a soft spot for the state. Yeah. And, Read and, the book louder than hell, man. You think fucking everybody's like, oh, LA, California is so important to the metal scene. Read the book louder than hell and you'll see how how crucial New Jersey was to uh, thrash metal, especially. You know, uh, I mean, it's it's where all these bands, you know, including Metallica, came to fucking break big. Metallica's first show with Kirk Hammett was in my hometown of Dover, New Jersey. So that just goes to show part of the importance that the state and, you know, the area has when it comes to, as as you're saying, the, the thrash movement. Yeah. Hey, I'm looking at the clock here, Victor. It is 916. I think we should probably get our first guest on the line, right? Yes. You wanna, uh, why don't you quickly announce who's on the show tonight, and then we'll uh, get the first of two on the line. Sure. We have Joey Z from Life of Agony. Let's see if we can clear up if that's currently or formerly of Life of Agony as as well as his um, 
Hurricane Sandy story. Cool. And after that, we have uh, Ron Scalzo, a.k.a. Q-Ball, uh, that all of you know and love uh, from his work with Bumblefoot and on PLJ and so on and so forth. Return to Earth, of course. Return to Earth, of course, yes. And um, so uh, I guess let's get into some music here and let's let's phone up Joey then. All right. up the, the, the dreaded um is there an official term for someone standing you up for an interview 
I don't know. I don't know. I've had it happen a bunch of times. I even heard it happen to Eddie Trunk once when he was on Sirius. So we are uh, we are in good company. <laughs> so what happened to Joey Z? Anyways, why don't you tell us? He, his studio got washed out. Where where is his studio? Is it out in Queens or something? Yeah, it was out in Queens, and um, part of the hurt, you know, when Sandy started to come over, I guess the um, the the flood retaining walls there. Apparently, it uh, flooded his studio, and he had all of his touring gear in there, all of his amps, cabinets, guitars, so on and so forth. And apparently, the whole place got flooded. There, there's a a um, YouTube video up on his site on Joey Z Productions. You could also search it by putting Joey Z into YouTube, and you'll see he's actually walking through the the flooded studio, and apparently there's fungus and everything else that he's starting to uh, smell and mold and and all this crap. And he's basically saying in the video that he's hoping that the insurance company uh, picks up on on everything, similar to what you were mentioning before with the previous flood damage and, and everything. So uh, uh, for me, it was heartbreaking to see, you know, someone that, uh, you know, you, you set up a, a nice little studio there starting to pick up press and, you know, little by little bands with some sort of recognition are starting to record there and whatnot. He mentioned when uh, when we did the live show from Bionic that he had actually done the uh, vocals for Anthrax's Worship Music before Joey came back. They they recorded them there. And uh, it's, it's just, uh, you know, for me, it was heartbreaking to see, you know, someone going through all the trouble and, you know, setting up a business and sort of setting up life after, you know, a band that had, you know, uh, some type of recognition, especially in the, in the area and um, just having everything wash away like that. Uh, I have exchanged emails with him and he has mentioned that he is now reverted to uh, producing and doing all types of recording work in other studios where he's brought in like as a, a guest producer. So uh, I guess Things have sort of worked out for him, but I mean, it, it still has to be very discouraging okay. setting something up like that. Let's break it down for any Talking Metal listener who might not know Life of Agony. Can you give them a three-minute history lesson on that band, Victor? Sure. Life of Agony was a band. I mean, they're they're very hard to classify. It's the typical thing on Wikipedia where... You know, they're either a hardcore band or they're a metal band or they're a hard rock band. And it's a band that evolved over time based on, you know, each one of their albums. Uh, they're from New York and they were always hyped up by Roadrunners being the next big thing. It was a band that was supposed to really take off. They had a lot of airplay with through and through on Headbangers Ball. And their second album came out, didn't get the same sort of attention from MTV, but being from the area, SOU obviously played crap out of the album. Right. And their third album came out, Hope, and they went off in a totally different direction. A lot of people uh, became disinterested in the band. Uh, a lot of hardcore fans or hardcore fans of the band hung on because the lyrical content and everything was still just as powerful as the first two albums. And at that time, from what Joey has mentioned to me in previous interviews, his cousin Keith Caputo quit the band due to 
you know, outside influences telling him that he would be bigger on his own. He also had an issue with heroin at the time, which has been well documented. Mm. And fast forward a few years after that, uh, Joey was in Stereo Mud, which got press with uh, Jimmy Iovine's um, Farm Club on USA Network. They were one of the featured bands on there. As as was (laughs) G-Soul. Were they? Opus's band, yeah. What do you guys, totally not to cut you off, but what do you guys think of Opus? Like, uh, as in you guys, Victor, you and the six people who are currently listening um, to the live stream. What do you guys think of Opus? Uh, Is he somebody we would want to give a podcast show to? Um, Because he's expressed an interest. You know, we were once talking to him and Jamie Josta about doing a podcast for Talking Metal Digital. I'm not sure if that has any chance of happening, but one thing that right. definitely has a chance of happening is Opus having his own show. I mean, he's a great salesman. Yeah. I mean, that's my issue. I don't just want to give him a show and all he does is, you know, my black Sabbath tribute band is playing at did, did, uh, blah, 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 in New Haven. And then on the next day, I'm going to be on a psychic show on the, you know, uh, access TV network. And then uh, the next day I'll be getting out on the road with uh, dead by Wednesday. It's like, I, I, I don't want that, you know, because because right. no one I mean, I shouldn't say no one cares. <clears throat> a lot of people care, but not enough, <laughs> you know? So Yeah. And I agree with you. And this, this has been a conversation that we've had going back and forth behind the scenes. And for example, this week I was catching up on old episodes of talking metal and got to hear the interview that John did with Ricky bird. I absolutely love that interview because it was such great storytelling going back and forth. You could tell John was really into the album. That was John at his best. And that's why I love the guy. And listen, I'm no dummy. I know that that people out there love John and some people don't love him. And and we got a lot of great feedback on that Talking Rock episode, which we actually put out as a Talking Metal episode, too. And that's that's what makes John so good. And I'll tell you one thing. I've known John for a long fucking time, man. And when I go out with him to these concerts or to meet these like rock stars or partial rock stars, if you will, he always vibes with 80% of them. They like him and they, they like his energy and they like being around him. And, you know, people are like, well, is that because he kisses their ass totally? Yeah, maybe I I fucking don't know, but it's, it's more than that. Cause, because, you know, I know other people who kiss ass and people don't don't like that, you know, but John has something where and it's part, you know, his wacky image with the crazy hair and, the, you know, where, yeah, yeah, the, the leather jacket or else he's walking around in a suit half the time, which is also kind of he's got his own thing going on. John John Astronomy is a. Uh, very unique individual. And I, I think a lot of people relate to that. And, and his personality sh- really was shining through in that Ricky bird interview. And Ricky's an old friend of his for, you know, from way back. And, and I think, uh, y- you know, that, that really was, was a good moment and reminded me. And I think a lot of the listeners, why we, we really like John astronomy so much. Absolutely. And and that's one of the things that I've been mentioning to you about other podcasts is just being sucked into the story like that. I mean, John was like a little kid almost telling a lot of the different things and describing things. Not not so much a little kid. Maybe I was more like a little kid getting sucked into it, but uh, it's great. And I mean, 
I think anyone that can tell a good story or paint a, a picture the way that he was and Ricky was in that interview, I, I think is is a home run. And unfortunately, the internet is a blessing and a curse. Uh, it gives you know a Yahoo like me a voice, uh, but at the same time, I think there's so much out there. There's so much saturation out there that it's hard for people to decipher what's good, what isn't good. And for every good show that's out there, there's a million that absolutely suck. And a lot of times, you know, that that's what's holding a lot of people, you know, back from finding out what I'm doing. And I mean, not what you guys are doing, but a lot of times, you know, I'll get people write me and say, Hey, you know, I listened to you with Mark and, you know, I don't know why I didn't give, you know, Mars Attacks a uh, a chance sooner because I really enjoy what you bring to, um, you know, those live shows and what you're doing with your own shows. So I think a lot of it is, you know, word of mouth and allowing people to sort of sift through, you know, what they like and what they may not like and, and finally get to something that's, you know, appealing to them. So totally. now speaking of, of, of your show, by the way, which is Mars Attacks. I just want to plug that, guys. You can listen to Mars Attacks a couple ways. One way is to go to TalkingMetalDigital.com and go to the Mars Attacks section, and we have Victor's podcasts are now being posted there. Uh, the other way is to subscribe to Victor's Mars Attacks podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or however you get your your podcasts. Go subscribe to it there. Or go to MarsAttacksRadio.com and support what Victor does because we've gotten some nice PayPal donations over the you know past six months here. I'd love it if, if if a couple of you guys could send Victor some love through his PayPal donation button, which is located on MarsAttacksRadio.com. Right? Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So help Victor out, and also. As long as we're talking business, John and I have signed on with a new ad firm, which is going to be selling sponsorships on Talking Metal. They're called the Midroll. If you're interested in advertising on Talking Metal, just Google the Midroll and let them know. I don't know. I'll get their email address for you. I don't have it in front of me right now. But um, it's very important that the listeners support any sponsors that come on Talking Metal. And that means clicking through any links we have on our site to the sponsorships, kind of like you guys did with Hulu. Uh, if they're offering any sort of tree, free trial, like if we got uh, Audible Books as a sponsor, I'd want you guys to all go get your free download through them. And sometimes it's a pain in the ass, like this free stuff that these sponsors offer. They want you to put in a credit card number because then they'll start billing you as soon as the free trial ends. And I know that, that it's, a, it's a pain in the ass, but listen, it's easy enough to go set your, your Google calendar to remind you to quit. And uh, all this stuff, if you don't want to continue on with the product, that is. And all this stuff is, is really crucial to, to helping us keep this whole thing going. Um, so again, my, my request for support this week is to give Victor a PayPal donation, even if it's five bucks, give him whatever you can on his site, which is marsattacksradio.com and support any future sponsorships that you hear on this talking metal podcast. Thanks. That's been my, uh, talking metal service announcement for the, for the evening. I guess Joey Z is not calling in. Huh? I, I take it. He isn't calling in. So it's it's a shame. Would have been cool to catch up with him, but it is what it is, I guess. Well, let's go to Twitter right now. Let's see what's going on on Twitter. 
Talking Metal is live, and let's see, hashtag Talking Metal. Absolutely nobody talking about Talking Metal right now, at least not by using the hashtag Talking Metal. Let me see. We got Paul Stanley checking in. He's saying, not with us personally, just with his, uh, I follow Paul Stanley on Twitter. He's saying there's been an earthquake in Japan. Have you heard that? Yeah, like a 7.3 magnitude, apparently, and they're, they've got tsunami warnings again. Oh, fuck. It's, it's, yeah, there's just some point this afternoon, at least afternoon for me, that uh, this took place. Sean Baker, uh, I, I noted his Twitter handle in our Follow Friday tweet that I sent out through the Talking Metal handle on Twitter earlier today. Guys, that music, a couple of people have written in saying, what's the music that you use, the theme music? Well, there's a couple different tracks, but one I think that most of you guys are asking about is Sean Baker's song. It's called Which Way to Radio Land. And what else is going on on Twitter here? Um, Chiaki from Metal Moment Podcast just favorited our, our uh tweet that says we are doing a live show right now so i don't know if that means if that he's listening in or not and gene simmons uh let's see tweeted about a piece of his gum that he chewed is being uh is being auctioned off on ebay that isn't that crazy gene simmons is auctioning off gum that he chewed on ebay i hope that's for a charity i hope so too and i mean i don't know i hope the hard rock or someone like that you know, goes out and bids on it. I know I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm getting, you know, obviously I'm a big Kiss head, but all the members of Kiss seem to currently, like within the last 15 minutes, be sending out tweets. Here's Tommy Thayer. Again, it is 9.35 p.m. East Coast time on October 25th, 2013. Tommy Thayer just tweeted out that the Tommy Thayer Epiphone Spaceman Les Paul, the first run is now sold out. Wow, I, I that's awesome. Good for Tommy. Are you surprised by that? I mean, what's the first run? Ten guitars or is it ten thousand guitars? I mean, I guess it depends because didn't they put out multiple models for his guitar? Didn't they put out like um, one that was about a, a grand and then one that was uh, slightly above and slightly below? Uh, I think so. I I know. Yeah, I know he wanted it to be really affordable. I actually, Victor, I don't know if I've ever priced it out. I do know he in the tweet he's actually holding it. It is a good looking guitar, and you know Tommy's a guy because he's got the Ace makeup on and stuff. He takes a lot of shit, but I even heard a certain someone who works for Ace tell me that the guitar is a really solid built and solid and great sounding guitar. Because uh, that's right, John Astronomy has tried out the Epiphone spaceman les paul the tommy thayer signature model and um yeah there you go i actually just finished reading peter's book i'm i'm a slug when it comes to reading and i actually finished it uh this afternoon it was interesting his take on on the whole tommy side of things but uh yeah i, I don't know he's, you know he's he's nasty towards tommy in his book and and that's because he feels, you know, Tommy is on team Gene and Paul, you know, and, and uh, he doesn't like that. And, uh, you know, I see his side of it being resentful that, you know, Tommy's up there wearing his, his you know, Ace's makeup, that is. And uh, 
you know, but whatever, man. Kiss sounds so fucking good. You think you think they would uh, sound that good? I mean, I'm sorry. I shouldn't probably say this, but if Peter and Ace were still in the band, I see Kiss every time they come through New Jersey and or New York, and they wouldn't sound as good as they currently sound with those two guys in the band, especially friggin' Peter, who can hardly, in my opinion, you know, really has no business being behind the kid anymore. Those Eddie Trunk 30th anniversary videos, I was so hyped up to see them. And I see that he's playing um, Hooligan with uh, Frank Bello and Bumblefoot. Which is pretty awesome to, to uh, that song. I mean, I, I've, I've never I've never heard, heard that performed live. Yeah. I mean, actually, in, in person. Oh, okay. okay. Did they ever yeah. play it? In the, they must, did they play it on the old tours? I think they did, actually. I think they did. I believe, with if not within Kissology, I'm almost positive that I have a, a bootleg on VHS. I, I think I think so too. Yeah. Yeah, from like Houston or something like that. They're in a Love Gun tour where they actually did that song. But I, I don't know. I mean, re- reading the book and and you know, I would consider myself a drummer before anything else because I'm a hack on guitar. Um, Peter's one of my biggest influences and just hearing, you know, a live two or a live and then hearing how he plays the stuff now, I mean, is just so heartbreaking. And for anyone that wants him back in the band, listen to that millennium concert that was released within the, uh, a live box set a few years ago. Uh, he's, I mean, he's never going to be back in the band. I mean, after that, what he wrote in that book and after, you know, and, and they can sound better and they have less of the drama, and they can pay Eric Singer less, uh, you know. And I'm sure Eric Singer makes a, a good good penny playing for Kiss. But it's just like, you know, the one thing I got from that book, which is a great fucking read. If you haven't read Peter's book, go get it. Um, you know, it is a very negative read, but it's it's a it's a page turner, and I really liked it. Uh, but it's just that the the one thing I got out of that book is Peter's kind of difficult to to work with, you know. Yeah, and he seems to be bitter towards everyone because, I mean, he doesn't pace, I mean, excuse me, he doesn't paint Ace very well. Um, and I don't think, I mean, in Ace's book, he didn't do anything to go out of his way to, to slag Peter. And it's, it's, I don't know, I don't know if he was just looking to sell copies or what, but it seems as if, you know, in his words, Gene and Paul are Hitler. And Ace is like right beneath them, you know. It just seems—I don't know. It just—I think there's a big jealousy towards Ace, uh, you know, and and not not just not just from Peter, but I honestly think that there's some jealousy from Gene and Paul because yeah. uh, listen, I don't doubt that Gene and Paul worked harder than anybody that was ever in that band, you know. Um, to, to and. And the band probably wouldn't have gotten famous without Gene and Paul. And it's there's a very good chance Ace and Peter may have never been rock stars without Gene and Paul. Um, however, you know, Ace Frehley, when those four solo records came out, his sold the most. And I mean, when I was freaking nine years old, you know, my my favorite two guys were were Gene and Ace, and, uh, you know, my brother's was Ace. My brother had Ace posters all over his room. My brother's a few years younger than me, um, you know, when he was, like, six years old, you know, and it's just, like, ev- everybody loved Ace back in those days, and I think it, 
people were jealous of that, including Peter and and to some extent Paul Paul and and Jean. And I think it sucks, quite frankly, that Paul and Jean continue to in every freaking interview cut down Peter and Ace. It's like it'd be nice to hear them say something good about about Ace. Like, yeah, we made we made some great magic together back in those days, but you know we have a new, you know, you, they can always spin it around, but they always seem to like, you know, reporters give them the bait to say something negative about Ace and Peter and they always take it, you know? Yeah. I, I, I don't understand either. And for me, it was Ace as well. I remember being four years old, my brother having destroyer and alive two and alive two had that booklet with all the, the various pictures from over the years. And I remember there was that one big picture of Ace with the yellow light shining over him. And I saw that as a four-year-old and it captivated me. And I mean, I was in kindergarten singing Kiss songs, for God's sakes. And it had nothing to do with the merch or anything like that. It was just that whole imagery that, you know, that they had going on. And it seemed like they were, you know, superheroes and larger than life. And the songs were great. I mean, Peter had swing. Peter had, you know, a, a very, you know, a certain type of fierceness to his playing which he lacks now, you know, it's unfortunate, but, you know, drumming is the most physical, you know, spot as a musician. And unfortunately, if, if a, you don't take care of yourself and B, you know, your body just with age just starts uh, deteriorating. How many other drummers have we, you know, had this conversation about? And I mean, drums is such a physical thing, especially for hard rock and heavy metal drummers. It's like, uh, you know, I, I find it amazing that these guys like, you know, Carmine Apiece or even Vinny, Vinny Apice can go out there and still still really slam pretty hard, you know, because most guys their age get behind the kit and it's just not the same anymore. And yeah. and especially if you if you take a decade off where you're not playing. I mean, you could say the same thing about guitar players. I mean, they've always said that, you know, post Zeppelin page took that decade off where, you know, he didn't touch the guitar for barely at all, like in, in a five year period. And then, you know, even after the firm, he really wasn't playing all that much and he just never got back to where he was with Zeppelin. I mean, you know, you and I spoke about that, that uh, recent Zeppelin DVD that came out and I, I watched it after the fact. And I, I actually ha- found it hard to watch because page, he sounded all right, but he's just nowhere, nowhere, you know, at the level that he once was, you know, back in the Zeppelin days. Yeah. And I mean, the movie that he did with uh, Jack White and The Edge, I mean, the the little bits and pieces that he was playing and he was showing them how to play was cool. I mean, it was neat, but as you're saying, you know... It's, it's going to get just... loud is the movie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know. It's That movie, to me, as I mentioned to you, the, the Zeppelin, the Celebration Day, is overdubbed all over the place. You can find clips from that same show on YouTube. And I mean, Robert Plant's voice is redone. There are drum fills that are redone and, and there obviously have to be wow. guitar parts that are redone as Even well. Drum so. fills. Wow. That's crazy. Hey man, it's nine 45. Don't we got to call a uh, cue ball now? Yes, we do. So let's, I guess, jump into some return to earth and we'll get him on the line. This is coming off of the last return to earth album. This is, um let's see the night of the exploding razors off of automata by return to earth 
gotta put up a fight. Everyone is gone. Everyone is gone. We'll keep on coming. Everyone is gone. We gotta put up a fight. Everyone is gone. Everyone is gone. We'll keep on coming. We gotta put up a We are back, and we had a little double shot there of Return to Earth. We had Night of the Exploding Razors first, and then Restore My Heart. And on the phone, Ron Scalzo is here to return our hearts, as he has decided not to stand this up for his interview. Yeah, our first oh, interview, uh, Ron, it was a, was a no-show. So thank you for uh, for not leaving us stranded uh, totally here tonight. We're, uh, we're glad you were able to call in to us. So no matter what I say, I'm, I'm already the winner by comparison. So you, you are the winner, yes. And <laughs> Ron, guys, is also known to the Talking Metal listeners as Q-Ball. We first met him through our friend Bumblefoot, oh, many, many, many years ago. And I've been out a little, you know, I've been out of touch with you a little bit, Ron, but I followed all the terrible stuff that happened to you on your Facebook page and on the, the interweb uh, one year ago, almost almost today, I think maybe one year ago tomorrow, I'm not sure, but um, you were hit so hard in, in Hurricane Sandy. And let me tell you that, that the Talking Metal crew was, was thinking about you, and I was liking your, your post on Facebook, and I, I threw up a few comments, and I know you went through a lot. You lost your, your house, your studio. It sounded like you were living in a shelter for a while. How are things for you one year later? Well, I'm not in a shelter. I mean, I, I don't think I ever was, and I, I appreciate the, the kind thoughts and, and the words that you sent my way. A lot of people kind of came out of the woodwork. It's amazing when disaster strikes, uh, how much more um, 
love you feel from from the world, especially on the web. You know, in today's day and age, it's pretty easy to just send a Facebook message or a text or something like that. And even though it's not the same as coming to help me, you know, dig my keyboards out of the basement, it's it still meant a lot at a time where I was, you know, certainly feeling alone. Um, a year later, I'm doing really well. I can't say the same for my house or my studio, but um, a lot of existential things I think have happened to me that have kind of, I don't want to say made the whole experience worthwhile. I think that's a little bit of a stretch if I didn't have to yeah. go through it. Again, if I had a choice, which nobody does, I, I wouldn't have. But um, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to get all. You know, I'm not a born again Christian or anything like that, and I don't want to get all cliche. But um, you know, everything happens for a reason, and this happened to me just because of geography. I had a you know a nice uh, one family six bedroom house in Staten Island, New York, where I ran my record, uh, my record label out of the basement. I also had you know, a pretty nice homemade music studio that I had put together. Never mind all my my records and my CDs and everything that was down in what was at the time the ultimate man cave. Uh, and I got nine feet of water in my house. My basement basically filled up like a, a dirty goldfish bowl full of gunky ocean and sewer water and um, actually got into the upstairs area, which was basically where I lived. And slept and cooked, you know, my kitchen and my bedroom were up there and everything. And the entire house had to be gutted. And, you know, one, I was actually supposed to be running the New York city marathon at the time, which they canceled here in New York. And I was preparing for that. And I believe it was the day of the marathon. Uh, instead of running the marathon, I was standing in a, in a 300 square foot dumpster full of my crap. <laughs> so wow. it was, and you Definitely lost about everything? Possession-wise, I'd say I lost about, you know, 85% of my stuff. Uh, the house, you know, was obviously unlivable after that. And, you know, listen, I'm alive, man. I could have been dead that night. You know, people in my yeah. neighborhood died. Little kids oh. died and people got hurt. And you don't expect it to ever happen to you. You know, we see the tsunamis in Japan and we saw what happened in Oklahoma right afterwards. It's, you know, you never know what's going to happen. But growing up in New York, you don't expect to be the victim of a hurricane. Uh, it happened and it changed my life in a lot of ways. Certainly changed my philosophy about a lot of things. And instead of really complaining about what I didn't have, I've been grateful for what I do have. And again, I don't want to say that I would go through it all again, but in a way I'm kind of glad that I went through it because before the hurricane came along, I wasn't exactly, uh, I wasn't exactly living the greatest life. I'm not saying I was living a poor life, but you know, it's a way it's, it's the stereotypical wake up call, as they say. And I was sure. certainly woken up. <laughs> it was a rude awakening. Can we play that next prong rude awakening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I which go ahead, Victor. No, 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 no. He, he wants, he wanted us to, Play Rude Awakening next. I have Rude Awakening by many bands. All right, see? So the, the hurricane is getting me my request for prong Rude Awakening. Everything's hey, Ron, coming my way. How has all this stuff that you've gone through over the last year, you know, post-Sandy, post affected you artistically and musically with the music you are now creating? 
Well, it's funny that at the time, you know, you and I have known each other for a while. You knew that, you know, basically about eight years ago, I started my own record label just because it was the punk rock thing to do. I didn't really want to get into bed with anybody else. I had an interesting, you know, non-contractual relationship with Bumblefoot, who was right. helping me make my cue ball albums and was very helpful with the mixing and the and the recordings for the, the first Return to Earth album and mixed the second one. And um, I didn't really know if running the record label was what I wanted to do, not because, um, not necessarily because I was not enjoying it or didn't think it still could be successful, but it was a one-man show, and I had employees, and I had people come into the house, and I was trying to turn the record label into this full-fledged, fleshed-out entity, just like, you know, all the record labels from all the bands that we like, and it was pretty futile. It wasn't really happening for multiple reasons, so, you know, sometimes you need a little push in life. I'm not saying the hurricane was the best push, but... Maybe, you know, running the label in, in the state that it was in wasn't, it was kind of me um, spinning my wheels. Mm-hmm. And now and now I've been ushered into the digital age. You know, there's no more T-shirts, there's no more mailroom, there's no more supplies, there's no more CDs. And in today's day and age, that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world for a label that doesn't have a lot of touring bands and um, certainly bands that aren't moving dozens and dozens of CDs on a weekly basis. We all know what's going on on the internet right now with, you know, with MP3s and Spotify and all this fun stuff where people really aren't, you know, people really aren't buying physical product anymore anyway for bands that are not kind of heritage metal bands or rock bands. So from that standpoint, I think the whole hurricane experience kind of ushered me out of, you know, made me take my label hat off, which I maybe I needed to do and really focus on the music. Mm-hmm. And I've done that over the, you know, the past year. Um, certainly the lyrics that have come out of me and, uh, and probably more than anything else, because I really haven't been able to focus on music because I lost a lot of gear. I lost a lot of keyboards. Um, my piano amazingly was salvaged from the upstairs and I took it to my day job where I work for, you know, a big behemoth commercial radio station in New York City. So I was able to continue to write on that. and um, They, they you know, let you bring a piano into the office there? Oh, my God. Yeah, that's another story for another night. Yeah, okay. basically my wow. boss came to my rescue. I mean, just the fact that the piano, you know, this was, um, you know, a nice, I have a Yamaha P1. It's a nice upright. I actually bought that piano with the money I made from the, the advance we got from Metal Blade when we, Signed with them to put Automata out. That was my little, you know, gift to myself, and I looked at it as, a, as an investment, you know, studio piece, something I could use to record on, and get to, you know, learn how to record piano in a studio. And I had it set up in my living room, in the middle of my living room, and had the mics up and everything. It was great, and it's actually starting to get a little more prolific as, uh, you know, a self-producing piano player to kind of get that stuff down. But um, yeah, that was like the first thing. It was the first and only thing that I really tried to salvage from the upstairs because it was such an expensive piece, probably the most expensive thing in my entire house. Wow. And um, my boss came to my rescue. It was, if you recall, last year, not only did we get the hurricane, but soon afterwards it snowed in New York. 
Yeah. And it got very cold, and that's not really the ideal weather conditions for a piano to be in. Um, they, they do prefer it cool, but not like 37 degrees, which is the temperature in my house after the hurricane. So, wow. um, you know, no heat, no hot water, you know, everything basically becomes this empty shell. Um, and I'll never forget it, man. I'll, I'll never forget, um, all my help had gone home after the first three or four days of, uh, you know, the post hurricane activities. And it was finally just me in the house alone, just going through the rest of, you know, whatever had survived. And I, the piano was under this big, thick blanket that we put on it to try to, you know, maintain its temperature. And I, you know, I pulled the blanket off. I was wearing, I remember I was wearing gloves. It was like November 4th or something like that. Um, and I started playing and you could hear outside, there were like bulldozers outside just moving debris from myself and my neighbor's houses just all over the block. And it was uh, a really surreal moment. But I know I'm, I'm giving you a long-winded answer here as usual, but um from an existential standpoint, it's really, I, I really feel like I've written the best stuff I've written over these past, you know, 12 months. And because of, you know, what happened to me, I mean, certainly, like I said, I'm not born again. I haven't changed, you know, I've tweaked myself a little bit. I feel like I'm a stronger person. I can deal with adversity a hell of a lot more than I probably could have before all this happened. Um, and I think it's coming out in my songwriting and hopefully, you know, once these new albums come out that I'm going to put out, it'll certainly shine through. And, and these albums that you're saying, they're, they're going to be returned to earth or is it going to also be cue ball work? What do you have um, in the tunnel per se? Well, you guys both know, are pretty familiar with return to earth myself, Brett of who's a long old time, uh, long time friend of mine to be co-workers and were in other bands back in the day. And of course, Chris Penny, who, when we finally started to get a band together, had just joined Coheed and Cambria, which kind of complicated the whole situation as far as being able to tour or perform or really do anything. Um, that traditional bands that, you know, get signed to a, you know, a pretty decent heritage metal label do. Uh, that really hasn't changed in the sense that even though Chris isn't in Coheed anymore, we don't really function like a traditional band. However, pretty soon after we put Automata out, which I believe came out in the fall of 2010, we started writing up again. Like we were, you know, we had a four album deal with Metal Blade, so we wanted to keep it going. And these guys are studio rats and they went out and they bought a whole bunch of recording equipment and, um, audio editing software, and they really wanted to get good at self-producing. And they have. I mean, it's been three years later, and they have. They've certainly fulfilled that prophecy. So, as usual, they would send me ideas um, musically because they are the masterminds behind that sort of thing and ask me to, you know, basically take my paintbrush out and add my little stroke. And refreshingly, both guys who were pretty critical of not only what I do, but what everybody who ever <laughs> makes music in the history of music does. Those guys are, uh, I don't want to say they're haters, but they certainly aren't fans of a lot of the music that is uh, being released out today. Um, right. They have been refreshingly open and excited about what I've come up with before and after the hurricane to contribute to these songs. It's certainly going to be... Uh, <laughs> that a darker record than the last one cool. um and 
I I would say that you know I owe a lot you know we'll owe a lot of that to the subject matter and and to the lyrics and and to the themes. Automata was kind of a loose concept album, um, and this one is going to be no different. As far as when it's going to come out or how it's going to come out, that remains to be seen. But we certainly have made strides over the past few months. I was certainly out of commission for a little while, but that didn't stop those guys from continuing to make music. And I believe I'm going to track vocals for the album in about three weeks. And then we'll present the best songs that we pretty much have down right now. I'd say we have about nine or 10 quality songs that we are all pretty confident we want to include on the record. We'll present it to Metal Blade. And if they give us the thumbs up, then we'll move forward and we'll finish the record. And we're probably going to produce it ourselves like we always do. And if, you know, if it's up to me, which it's only a third up to me, we'll, we'll hopefully, you know, put it out sometime in, uh, in the middle of 2014. Excellent. Um, where, can, far, where can the, the listeners go to find out, you know, updates on, on, uh, when it's coming out and just updates on return to earth in general. Is there a Facebook page or website? Yeah, we kind of abandoned the whole website idea. I, I know metal blade still has, um, the, our, um, information of metalblade.com slash return to earth. But if you want to get real information on what's going on on a day-to-day basis or a week-to-week basis, you can either hit us up on Twitter, which is at RTE music or facebook.com slash return to earth. The social networking sites certainly do their job just as well as any website did. So we kind of stick into that for the time being. And I'm pretty active on there. The other guys, like I said, they're studio rats and they don't worry. They didn't worry about it when I was running the record label and they're still not worrying about it now. They let me do all the fun promoting and all that stuff. And I guess I'm pretty good at it. So yeah, you'll hear, you know, you'll hear it from us directly when whatever happens next happens. But like I said, once these vocals attract, we should be moving forward after the holidays and really digging into, you know, getting the finished product out by beginning or springtime of 2014 awesome well when that time comes and you're you're ready to release it and ready to play us some music please definitely come back on talking metal and or mars attacks oh absolutely i you know i love to kind of lead demos and stuff like that because i feel so good about these songs and we're perfectionists and i know these guys would never you know want to do that until we had the actual finished product out but the demos are really really good it's it's a mix of the heaviest part of the last record mixed in with more uh, i would say orchestrated pieces um we kind of had a couple interludes on the first record that kind of hinted at that but these um these orchestrated pieces are not just interludes they're full songs and there it'll be an interesting mix of heavy and dark moody music kind of like you know the same influences that we've had on the last record bands like, you know, I'm still a big fan of nine inch nails. And, um, I actually just saw them perform in Brooklyn a couple of weeks ago. And any time I see him and every time he puts a new album out, I get inspired. So my influences haven't changed. Mike Patton's a big influence as well. And I've definitely dug into the music that I've liked over the past year, even though I lost all my physical CDs and records, I still have my iTunes and I still seek out new music on a weekly basis. And I've been doing a lot of homework. I've been listening to a lot of ministry and a lot of Nine Inch Nails and a lot of, um, you know, um, even old ACDC and stuff like that, trying to kind of 
my, the vocal influences to me are, are a big deal. And I'm always trying to improve myself as a singer because I'm not a classically trained guy. And I want what I hear in my head needs to come out of my mouth and <laughs> through my throat. So I hope that I can live up to the, you know, the, the intricacy of the new tunes. And I think I'm going to. So we'll see what happens. Excellent. Cool. Well, thank you so hey, much. So what's for going on us. with you guys? It's over. All right. All right. I'll go back <laughs> to drinking my beer and watching horror movies. Yeah, yeah, we're just about out of time for today's episode, but uh, it was great catching up with you briefly here and hearing that Return to Earth is still alive and well and that you are still alive and well and doing, sounds like, really good one year after Hurricane Sandy. I could be doing a lot worse, and I couldn't be doing much better in consideration of everything that's happened. I am grateful for, you know, again, I know we're out of time, but I want to thank everybody who did their part, big and small, strangers, friends, people I've never met before and people I'll probably never see again who pitched in to help me get through what was a very challenging year. So if you're listening out there, thank you very much. Nice. <laughs> what do you got on tap there to uh, take us out for tonight's show, Victor? Exactly what the man asked for. A little prong and rude awakening coming off of the rude awakening album. <laughs>